Well, I knew that I was taking my daughter's life in my hands. I decided that both of us are better off dead than to live the life we were living, so we'll either make it or we'll die trying. Not Without My Daughter, author Betty Mahmoudi. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Happy Mother's Day weekend to all the moms who are listening right now. Today, the story of an exceptionally courageous mom. Her name is Betty Mahmoudi. In the mid-1980s, she accompanied her Iranian-born husband back to his native country for what she thought was going to be a two-week vacation. But instead of returning to the U.S. as scheduled, her husband informed her that they would be living permanently in Iran. And that was just the beginning of the ordeal for her and the couple's four-year-old daughter, Matab. Betty Mahmoudi tells the story of what happened over the next 18 months in her best-selling book, Not Without My Daughter. Published in the late 1980s, it was later turned into a major motion picture starring Sally Field as Betty Mahmoudi. We're not going back. We're staying here. I want us to live in Iran. What, are you crazy? We're Americans. Your daughter's an American. I know it's the right decision if you just give it a chance. No, I won't stay here. You can't... Are you listening? So here now, from 1988, Betty Mahmoudi. In 1973, I met a man, Iranian-born, but he had all of his formal education in this country. He was doing his internship. Uh, after that, he did an anesthesia residency, and we were married in 1977. He wanted to visit his family, but... At the time I met him, he had said he's always going to live in this country, wants to become an American citizen. Um, after we were married, the revolution began, and it wasn't a good time to go visit, so every year it was easy for me to put it off until 1984. His nephew came to visit us and immediately said, you have to go visit, didn't take no for an answer. So this time he insisted that we go. I didn't want to go because I knew the ruler of the country was crazy and militant. I knew they were at war. But we would be going for two weeks only to visit his family, no uh, sightseeing or anything else. And I said, okay, I can cope with it for two weeks. We did go in August of 1984. Um, survived the two weeks. I won't say enjoyed the two weeks, but survived it. And I couldn't wait to get packed and get ready to leave the country on the last day of our vacation. And he told me, we're not going home. I mean, I couldn't believe he was doing it to me. And he said, you're in my country now. You abide by my law. And you're in Iran till you die. He became an absolutely different person at that moment. That's what struck me when I was reading your book, how how he actually changed. How he it didn't even sound like this that you were describing the same person. No, not at all. In this country, he was such a, a loving, caring father. Spent so much time with our daughter and with me. And in that country, we all of a sudden became property instantly. You know, at the end of this two weeks, our lives changed. Is the cultural influence that strong that you can actually take someone who has been westernized uh, of sorts and and take him right back to the old ways? Well, I thought, you know, and especially working through the book, I said, well, I've discovered what happened. He had a mental breakdown, and I really believed that. But since my book has been out, I've received hundreds of letters from women who have been involved in similar situations, and they all say the same thing. They have met these wonderful, charming, caring, 
generous, kind men, and after you marry them or get them back into their environment, either their families visit here on a long-term basis or they are back visiting their families, they turn into a different person. And always, every letter has been with a Muslim man, and every letter says that this man reverted to beating. Every single letter I've received. Good heavens. It's not limited, though, simply to Iran. It's, it's No, 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 not Iran. But the letters I've received have not been from talking about Jewish men. They or haven't West been Europeans. Talking, right. It's been talking about Muslim men. Maybe because my book relates to Islam, and these are the readers that are responding to me, but it's been kind of interesting. Oh, oh what a chilling thought. But the Quran says it's okay to beat your wife. Now, let's, let's go back to Iran for a few moments, and, you, and you're there, and you've just been told that you're going to be there for the rest of your life. You're going to die there. What kinds of thoughts are cascading through your mind at that point? Well, at that point, I didn't think it's going to happen because we'd spent this two weeks with this fanatic Islamic family. They're up all night praying and reading Quran, and I knew that if I went to them and told them what's happening, they're not going to allow them to do this to me, which, you know proved wrong because I did appeal to them. They said, whatever he wants is what we'll do. We'll abide by his wishes. So I became a hostage. I was actually guarded by all his family members. Physically guarded? Physically guarded, yes. And I was dragged in front of them on repeated occasions, beaten in front of them, and he told them, told me in front of them, if you ever touch the phone or walk out that door, I'll kill you. And your daughter is where during all of this? She's right there in front of me. She saw me beaten. She was beaten. And to, now, the two of you, again, this is something else that, that stood out in my mind as you were writing, uh, as, or as I was reading what you wrote, I guess I should phrase it that way, uh, was the way the two of you stuck together. My daughter and I, yes. We had always been close, but she had been close to her father, too. But immediately when he said, you're not going home, she withdrew from him, and she clung to me. One of the the first day, I mean, the first hour we arrived in Iran, she had to go to the bathroom, and when we found the bathroom, it's a hole in the floor, hose hanging on the wall, and roaches running everywhere. Well, you don't wear shoes inside the house, and she was scared to death of the bathroom because of all the roaches. So I always had to go with her. This turned out to be our refuge, the bathroom, because I would go in there and hold her to go to the bathroom, and then we would whisper our prayers. And we became very, very close and um, increased our faith during these bathroom sessions. Now, you couldn't practice your faith openly uh, outside the bathroom, could you? No, not at all. Oh. But I was forced to practice Islam publicly in front of the family. I was forced to do the prayers in Arabic. And at what point, at, at what time along the way did you decide, I've got to form a plan to escape? After I was there for two months. I um, had become very sick. I lost 54 pounds the first two months. I tried to write one day and couldn't write my own name. So I went to him, you know, I decided I'm going to die in this country and nobody cares, but what about our daughter? I went to my husband and said, okay, you win. I'm going to stay in Iran, but you have to help me. I want to make the best of it for all of us. I pretended from that day for the rest of the 18 months that I had accepted my plot in Iran. I was an Islamic wife. I was um, an Iranian 
and I was doing everything I could to make him happy. I was beaten in front of the family. I was nice to him. I was nice to them. They did all kinds of nasty little things to me because I couldn't understand the language, and I knew they were doing things. I was still nice to them. I killed them with kindness, and when I went there, they hated me because I was American, and they said that. But by the time I left, they loved me. They wouldn't help me get out of the country, certainly, but they treated me much better than they treated my husband. After this short break, Betty Mahmoudi tells how she and her daughter were helped by international drug smugglers. Now back to my 1988 interview with Betty Mahmoudi. Now when you finally did effect your escape under cover of darkness, it was really cloak and dagger. It was. I knew that, but my situation was so bad. You know, it had gotten better over the months, and then all of a sudden he resumed his um, uh, physical uh, restraints and everything. So I knew that I had to go. He told me January 29th I knew was the last day of my life. He told me that he's going to take Matav away from me again, as he had done earlier. He told her that I, he, she would never see me again. He showed me a room where I was going to be locked the rest of my life. And I prayed all day, something has to happen, please. Well, in the evening, about 7 o'clock, the ambulance came to pick him up to take him to the hospital to perform an emergency surgery, which is the common procedure. He refused to go, but we did have a visitor. This lady said she would stay with me until he came back. And after he left, I told her that I need to go to the flower shop to buy flowers to take out for dinner that night because that is a custom. She drove us to the flower shop, and from there I insisted that she leave and contacted a man that I've been talking to for eight months. I told this man that I have to go now, this is it. He said, no, things aren't ready. I mean, this is in the dead of winter. And I said, I'm not going back. We have to do something. We have to take chances. So we, he put me in an apartment, started working around the clock, and the only way that could be worked out was what I had always been told was the most dangerous way, through Turkey, with a group of men who smuggle hashish. But even they don't travel this area during this time of the year. You're taking your life in your hands. Well, I knew that I was, and I knew that I was taking my daughter's life in my hands. In fact, the Swiss Embassy had told me many times before, you can't do that. You don't have that right because you and your daughter will die. I decided that both of us are better off dead than to live the life we were living. So we'll either make it or we'll die trying. You came close to death during the during the the crossing of the border, didn't yes, you? Yes, I did. I was paralyzed um, from the cold, and I was the last mountain. I couldn't make it. My legs wouldn't move. I had no feeling at all. The men carried me over the last mountain. Have you suffered any permanent damage as a result of all this? I have some damage to my tailbone area, but that's all. You you really? I mean, you look terrific. I mean, for somebody who's been through the kinds of things, it, it's. I mean, I, I believe you, but it's hard to believe that you've been through something as as terrible as this, and you look as good as you do. Well, I'm a survivor. You know, I made it, and it's the best thing that could have happened to me in my life because to set a goal, you know, this great of a goal, and to accomplish it. I can make it, and I can do anything now. And my daughter's a survivor, too. We were in London recently doing an interview with an Australian magazine. Um, the photographer had done several um, photos inside the hotel and wanted us to go outside. We went to a grassy area at a museum, and 
and this was after two weeks of long days of interviews, and I went over on the grass for the picture, and, and Matab wasn't there. And I said, come on, and she said no, and she never tells me no. She's very obedient. I said, come on, get over here for our picture. And she looked down at the sign and she said, the sign says, do not walk on the grass. And surrounded by all these adults, so I said, if she's that strong and can stick to her convictions, she'll make it too. She's fine. Now, for many people who may be hearing us now, this is the first time they've heard it, maybe the second time in, in, in my case. But you must have given so many interviews over the last year. You must be awfully tired now of telling the same story over and over again. Well, it's exciting for me because every time I do it, someone new hears it and it helps someone different. Um, many uh, women who are thinking about marrying a foreigner don't know what they're getting into. I hope they would read the book with open eyes. You know, intercultural marriages is not going to stop. But if they know the questions to ask, and if they ask the right questions, when I married my husband, I never asked, after I marry him, am I an Iranian citizen? Uh, never thought of asking that question because I didn't know it could happen. Now women are calling the State Department and saying, hey, is this true? Which it is true. Uh, so if they know, and if I had known before I went to Iran that I was an Iranian citizen, it would have given me something else to think about. There's another group of women that have read my book that have just, you know, responded amazingly, and that's battered women that have had no involvement uh, with foreigners. But they've read my book and said, hey, if you can do it, I can do it. And they've actually gotten a hold of their lives and gotten back on top of it. And I'm really excited about that. How does it feel to be a role model? It feels great. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I'm so pleased that I was able to take a horrible experience and turn it into something so great. It's going to be a TV movie, isn't it? No, a motion picture. Ooh, a real movie. Ooh. Yeah, a real movie by MGM. We've got wow. a film in Turkey. We have a director, Brian Gilbert. He just directed Vice Versa. And um, great guy. I'm excited about it if the writer's strike ever finishes. <laughs> Are you a technical advisor to the movie? I'm the consultant, yes. Wow. Yeah. The name on the credits says it rolls by. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah. I'll have to sit in the theater and watch that. I'm proud to be an American, and you don't know until it's taken away from you. Um, we really don't know. We take everything for granted here, all the rights and freedoms. I appreciate it. Betty Mahmoudi will be 76 next month. She is president and co-founder of One World for Children. In 2015, Matab Mahmoudi wrote her own book, describing her and her mother's daring escape from Iran. And you can find easy Amazon links to both books at our website, heardeverything.com. Would you do me a favor? If you like today's episode, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? We post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Well, next time on Now I've Heard Everything, baseball is indeed the national pastime, but it's also, well, the theater of the absurd. My 1989 interview with former umpire Ron Luciano. When I was umpiring, I would walk out in the field and, you know, they'd start booing. And I'd say, I didn't do anything yet. <laughs> Wait. The one that really, really bothered me, move around, you're killing the grass. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. 